Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario. Welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, Mod Chat is a podcast I do at least monthly in two different forms. First of all, it is available in a video form on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, as well as available in a audio-only form like an actual podcast. Simply look up Mod Chat, one word, in your favorite podcasting app or platform, and you should hopefully be able to find it. It's not available on all podcasting platforms, but it's available on most of them. Anyways, in case you do not know, this is a show where I kind of just take some interesting topics that I've seen over the past few weeks, compile them, and talk about them here, do a little bit of show and tell sometimes as well too, and we just talk about some really cool, neat, interesting developments that have happened in the modding scene. So we're covering a good amount of ground here this episode for the first episode of 2022, and you know, let's just go ahead and jump right into this here. The first thing here being a tool from Jabu, who has also released some other tools that I've been familiar with, mainly uh, PS2 FPKG and PSX FPKG, and this is Saturn FPKG, which allows you to convert Sega Saturn games into PlayStation 4 fake package files. This is really cool because, in short, this was actually a emulator, a Sega Saturn emulator, that was available on the PlayStation 4 due to a few Sega Saturn games that were re-released on the PlayStation 4. So, much like what we saw with PS2 FPKG, in which PlayStation 2 games like PS2 Classics had their emulators reused and repacked, and PSX FPKG, which I believe the PlayStation emulator here came from the remake of Medieval. Because if you beat the remake of Medieval, you end up unlocking the emulated PS1 version of it on PS4. So this is it right here, actually. With the release of Cotton Guardian Force Saturn Tribute for the PS4, it has equipped a useful Sega Saturn emulator that is said to be based off the SSF emulator and performing well. So this is a real nice tool just because essentially what it allows you to do is it looks like this. It's pretty simple. This is one of the games that's running. And much like the other ones, you have to take a bin queue version of the game. You load it up here. You end up selecting your different options, like for example, the type of RAM cartridge you want, as well as additional game configurations and all that. You can customize it to your liking, so creating a title, splash image, icon, all that stuff. And then you create a fake package file, which is installable on the PlayStation 4, much like we've seen with PS1 and PS2 fake package files. So this is really cool, not only because Jabu was able to release this and make a really easy and intuitive tool here for Windows, but on top of that, it's just, I was not expecting Sega Saturn emulation on the PlayStation 4. This is very awesome to see. So I do look forward to delving into this a little bit more here. I do have a few Sega Saturn games that I have backed up already, but I like to go ahead and try them out with this tool. And I'd also like to see if there's a community effort to get kind of a compatibility list going as well too. One thing I'm even thinking of is I'm sure the compatibility would be a little bit different between um, even game releases, like for example, NTSC versus PAL, or maybe even reissues. But I know on top of this as well too, I'm kind of just looking over at the screen here with that Cotton Garden Force Saturn tribute. From what I've seen, it also has multiple, because that's multiple games on that release, it has multiple emulators. Um, so 
maybe even using different emulators would produce better results or worse results for different games. Uh, much like we've seen with PS2, FPKG, and just using PS2 classics in general on the PlayStation 4. Uh, I believe one of the more sought after or more recommended emulators is the emulator used for Jack 2. Uh, specifically, that one seems to have nicer compatibility compared to others, so I'm sure it's going to be about the same situation right here, but Sega Saturn on PlayStation 4, that's awesome. Still on PlayStation 4, we got another release here, which many people were excited to see, which is the Apollo Save Tool by Buccaneero. I believe that's how I say that username. So, Apollo Save Tool is an application to manage save game files on the PlayStation 4. The Apollo PS4 Homebrew app allows to download, unlock, patch, and re-sign save game files directly on the PlayStation 4. Now, with some of the features, it's easy to use, so no save mount patches or advanced setup needed. Standalone, so no computer required. Automatic settings, like automatic detection of the PS4 firmware, user ID, account ID, and then multi-user, so supports multiple user accounts. So this is really cool, because from what I've seen, this was a pretty nice tool that was available on the PlayStation 3. So now it's cool that we get to see this here kind of reborn on the PlayStation 4. I just had to double check here as well, but yes, there is a repository for this on PlayStation 3, which looks like it was updated last year. So this is something that I'm sure many PS3 users who use this tool were really excited to see on PlayStation 4, and it's still getting active development right now. I'm even looking at some of the releases here. So for example, 0.7.0, .0 added 9.0 firmware support, has new save wizard codes and improved graphics library, and it was able to fix save mount patches for 9.0. And then the latest one at the time of this release, it's now has full HD on here, uh, some nicer animations such import export keystone files, that's actually really nice there, and just a few other really nice things as well too. So I've actually messed around with this a little bit, you can see it back there, well maybe just barely on my own jailbroken PlayStation 4, where I was actually messing around with it to you know um, activate my PlayStation 4 account on there it's not linked to any official account it's really just an offline account that I was able to PSN activate so to speak so therefore you're able to copy your saves and everything to USB and do some other nice things there but it was real cool that I was able to just use that for the tool and I know that like my usage of it was just you know barely scratching the surface there so it was one of these earlier releases as 9.0 support is growing I do want to revisit that there as well too but it's cool from what I've seen so far so this is really awesome to see. Now this next story here, just prefacing this by saying this is not clickbait by any means, and this has been shown, at least proven in private, and you know, shown publicly here. No release date, no ETA, nothing of the sort on this, but we know that it is certainly possible, and we're seeing it come to fruition further. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to get anything publicly, and that's really what I want to stress, and I guess, as my girlfriend says, she says hope for the best, but expect the worst. So that's what we can do here. And I just want to preface that before going into this and showing you all this article. Over at wololo.net, they are questioning a PlayStation 5 jailbreak incoming. So we do have this screenshot right here on a PlayStation 5 showing a kernel string here. Uh, but it states here, following a hint by scene veteran Zeko Shao, developer Xenol Pointer has shared a screenshot which seems to indicate something big is coming for the PS5. We might soon have our very first jailbreak ever for Sony's latest console. 
Now here it's even stating that Xenol Pointer is one of the folks behind the recent Poob S4 PlayStation 4 jailbreak. At the time the jailbreak was released, Xenol Pointer had stated the exploit was also compatible with the PlayStation 5, but remained to be fully weaponized. With a compatible kernel exploit, a WebKit exploit also working on the PlayStation 5, we theoretically have all the tools required to fully exploit the PS5, using the exact same tools that have been used on the PlayStation 4, as previously explained. Easier said than done, of course, when someone's working on the very first exploit for a console, they're walking in the dark, trying to figure out the inner workings of the console, while simultaneously trying to break them. For now, these are the tweets that have been shared, in which Zeko Xiao says, I was allowed to stir the pot, so here it goes, something probably coming to 4.03 PlayStation 5, and Xenol Pointer right here, this was the one where it was confirmed, where, again, this is a kernel string showing on the PlayStation 5, showing that technically Xenol Pointer does have kernel-level access on the PlayStation 5. So, backing up a little bit here, just kind of zooming out, what does this mean? Are we going to be getting a jailbreak for the PlayStation 5? Is anything confirmed? Are we going to get an update to Poob S4? Maybe a Poob S5? Well, we don't know. This is all that's been shown so far. What we do know is what we've actually talked about a few times here on this show, in which the PlayStation 5 can be jailbroken. In fact, it has been confirmed to be jailbroken in private, and it was confirmed, well, it was, I guess it was done privately and confirmed publicly, meaning that publicly we've seen proof of it, but we don't have any releases, we don't have any files to play around with, none of that. The flow, as well as Team Fail Overflow, that was it. I was mixing up their name, but Fail Overflow, both of them, respectfully, were able to get the jailbroke the PlayStation 5 jailbroken uh talked a little bit about how they did it just some hints here and there and they were able to publicly confirm it but there's no releases and I think even I wouldn't expect anything from the fail overflow team and that's not a diss to them or anything it's just I know they're very apprehensive about releasing anything and they're more just showing that they can do it and they're showing kind of the steps of how they've done it uh while as the flow had said straight up there's not going to be an ETA on this, and I believe the flow even submitted this to the Hacker One bounty um, through, you know, PlayStation and such on there. Now, it's important that Xenol Pointer is the one who is showing this here because Xenol Pointer is one of the minds behind the most recent 9.00 PlayStation 4 jailbreak, which is Poob S4. And it was even discussed before and in this article here that it is theoretically possible to do this, to utilize that on the PlayStation 5. They just didn't have the proper entryways to get in there, and it was mainly from what I saw, Xenol Pointer did not have a PlayStation 5 to test this on himself. But he had said that the PlayStation 5 does have the same... It's vulnerable, at least to a certain firmware, it's vulnerable to the same XFAT bug that the PlayStation 4 had on firmware 9.0, which allowed this jailbreak to work. So, the cool thing is, a PlayStation 5 got into Xenol Pointer's hands, Xenol Pointer was able to get kernel-level access here, and that's the important part. Now, what would I suggest on here if you're waiting for a PlayStation 5 exploit of any kind? Well, kind of what I said before. Easier said than done, but if you're able to get a PlayStation 5, a secondary PlayStation 5, and keep it on a low firmware, just completely, like, put it in a closet, keep it offline, you're looking for one on, I, I know the, the firmware string is weird, but they're shortening it here, 
firmware 4.04.03 or lower. Now, if you have just one PlayStation 5 and it's on that low firmware, you can keep it offline. If it's on a higher firmware, you know, you can try and be patient, keep it offline as well too. But really when it comes to any kind of modding, if you still want to use the system in a legitimate capacity, I always recommend if you, you know, having two systems. You have one system with all of your legitimate stuff if you care about that and then you have an offline system that you'll keep out of date for any kind of or offline for any kind of modding related things um, just so you can have fun you can have that separation there and you can keep your legitimate system and account safe in that regard that's why I'm saying that. Overall, though, this is really cool, and I will say congratulations to Xenolpointer for doing this, and it's really cool that we were able to see this. So if we get anything released publicly, awesome. If not, it's really cool to see that this is at least possible here. And I'm sure in due time, we will see some form of a public jailbreak from really anyone for the PlayStation 5. It's just a matter of time. In some other news, we're actually going to the Wii U of all places here. This is released at the very end of last year, and this is a release called Tiramisu. Now, this is from Gary Odernixt, which I believe I only know of them really before from the Grand Theft Auto 3 or RE3 ports they did over to the Wii U, as well as Michelle, I wanna say that's it, Michelle Dev. So these two have been working on this here, and in short, this is a homebrew environment to mimic a free HaxG or cold boot hacks with some extra features. Now, for anybody who does not know, that is how you would install custom firmware on the Wii U, where you need your entry point, and you're able to install HaxG, and then from there, you use your entry point to enable HaxG. And then with CBHC, which is the cold boot hacks, that is essentially the process of taking a DS game, carving it out, and modifying it to create a cold boot of sorts. So when you turn on the Wii U, it essentially, and I'm really boiling this down here, but it essentially is able to boot up that game, which is able to boot up the custom firmware environment completely offline, so you're cold booting there. The only downsides are that you do have to purchase a DS game, and then you really can't touch that DS game, and if you ever like really move it or delete it or do anything else there, you really have to handle it with care. If you go in and delete the game, you can actually brick your Wii U, so you have to be careful with it. But it's also just the fact that you still have to be online and you have to buy an exploit game or buy a game to exploit. Now we're just going to go over some of the points here because I will have this linked in the description of this upload here, but for the background it stay here. In my last blog post I talked about FailST, an exploits to bypass runtime signature checks for a title on the Wii U. My initial plan was to release it together with my upcoming homebrew environment, because without a payload, it wouldn't be really useful. Unfortunately, FailST got leaked to 4Aroma, named for the upcoming homebrew environment, actually was finished. Since then, FailST was floating around without anyone actually using it, giving Nintendo plenty of time to patch it, which is really stupid. Luckily, they didn't fix it yet. However, at the end of this blog post, I promise to release a user-friendly installer as soon as possible to be a free Hacks-Chi alternative. Now, over a year later, it's finally time to release it with some extra bits. And just kind of skipping down here a bit with environments, it's stating together with Teramisu, an environment loader will be released which is a payload that allows you to load into different environments. An environment is a collection of one-time executables, setup modules, that will run in a specific order. 
Because an environment is just a collection of files, it's really easy to customize and extend it. All you need to do is add or remove files on your SD card. And stating here with the Teramisu environment, Teramisu is the an environment for the environment loader, which has the following base features. Custom firmware based on Mocha with slightly more features, homebrew launcher injected into MeMaker, an auto-boot menu based off of cold boot tax chi, and a full quick boot menu support of the gamepad. It's possible to extend this feature set by adding new modules. For example, Blue Pair has been ported to be a setup module, which allows cold booting into Blue Pair. Just to see this here, this is actually from Gary Odernixt as well. Uh, Blue Pair allows connecting controllers from the other consoles, like the native Wii U Pro controllers on the Wii U. It temporarily allows patches to the iOS pad modules responsible for Bluetooth controller connections. So like it shows here, there's several supported controllers, like the Switch Pro controller, Switch Joy-Cons, the Switch Nintendo Super Nintendo controllers, even Xbox One, DualShock 3, DualShock 4, DualSense controllers. So that's pretty cool. Now it looks like this is already released as well too. And over at the Wii U Hacks Guide, it has all of this set up here as well, which is really cool. So like if we come over to the home page, uh, this would just be the process of going through installing custom firmware and such, but you'd continue to Teramisu. It even says here, if you have a legacy uh, for custom firmware setup for CBHC users, you would go to the uninstall CBHC page to uninstall it. For HaxG, you'd uninstall the HaxG app from data management, as well as indexing and online exploit modifications here for, you know, Mocha custom firmware. Uh, but then here, you just download the latest files from Teramisu for your cafe, as well as a SIG patches file here. This is pretty similar to SD setup or SD files for the Switch, where you just pick what you're wanting for your uh, Wii U, and then you download this package, you extract it over to the SD card, and then from what I see here, this is really just at that point popping the SD card into the Wii U, going to a certain web page, and then using the browser exploit on there to exploit the console and get it to install all of this. So overall, I think this is a much needed development for the Wii U, and I really like the environments they have set up there where you can build and customize your own environment, much like a plugin solution that we've seen with the Vita. You see, if you modify the Vita, you have Hinkaku, but Hinkaku also has the Tai engine, which is just the plugin engine on there. So you really just have one custom firmware method, so to speak. You have different entry points to it, but on the Vita, you have one custom firmware, and at that point, as opposed to making multiple custom firmwares to your liking, you really just have one custom firmware, and then every user can customize it even further however they want to using the Tai engine, which just allows plugins to be on there. So you can add plugins, you can remove plugins. For example, if you want, I don't know, uh, no NP DRM, so you can play your backups. If you want no PSM DRM, playing, you know, your PSM games on their PlayStation Mobile. I'm not mispronouncing PSM, that's PlayStation Mobile. Um, even, I don't remember which one it was, but there was even one plugin where it was a lot like Flux, where it just kind of tints your screen orange and everything. You can change it on there. Um, even, you know, unlocking another core. Just all of that, it's really really up to the user how they want to and how fully customized they want to use that. So that's very similar to what we're seeing right here, where it's just you have your environment, you have a folder with a set of plugins there, for lack of a better term, and you can just add and remove whatever you want to. 
I think this is a great system here. Again, I also like that this is moving away from the reliance on a paid piece of software where you'd have to go, you'd have to purchase. Well, you don't have to, but if you want a cold boot modification, which is more recommended just in terms of not updating your system, being safer and all that stuff. If you want cold boot, you have to purchase a DS game. You then have to carve out that DS game and you cannot delete or move that DS game afterwards. And again, if you just if you choose to delete it or whatever, you can brick your system. Like there's a lot of warnings on that. So this is even in that regard a much safer alternative as well too, which this shouldn't even be an alternative. This, this is now the main method here. So I actually do have one or two modified we use and I'm going to cut those over to this method here. So very interesting to see. Now this is a while ago actually when ModChat was a live show when Devin or Paranoid Coder was on here. We had at one point taken a look at OpenLara with it running on a web browser and I even played it for about a minute or two there on stream in which in case you do not know uh, much like many other reverse engineering game efforts and re-implementations that we've seen here on the channel with you know one of them notably being uh, RE3 which was the Grand Theft Auto 3 reverse engineering effort and re-implementation as well as REVC, same thing for Grand Theft Auto Vice City. We've seen a lot more games become reverse engineered and open source re-implemented and even ported. Well, this seems like something that is quite impossible here, but it's been possible. This is the original Tomb Raider on the Game Boy Advance of all systems here. Now, this just kind of going over it a little bit, just reading off here. In what appears to be an impossible feat, GBA Temp member X Prager has managed to get the original 1996 PlayStation and PC classic Tomb Raider running on the Game Boy Advance. OpenLara is an open source project that can function as a replacement engine for Tomb Raider 1996. It is available for a number of platforms, including but not limited to the 3DO, Raspberry Pi, Xbox, and more. Like I said, you can run this in a web browser. So the lead engine developer Xprogger has gone a step further and managed to scale the project down to run under the game the Game Boy Advance's 16.78 MHz ARM CPU at a frame rate that appears to hover around the 16 frame per second mark, an outstanding display of technical wizardry. Now, this is described as an alpha version, and OpenLora for the Game Boy Advance currently only offers three levels of the game, and excludes original FMV sequences. However, the developer has expressed their intent to continue work on the Game Boy Advance ports by improving performance, trimming cutscenes down, and more. The author goes on to state they expect the complete package will be able to fit within a 256 megabit ROM. So this is really cool here, and there's even a video showing this, so let's take a quick peek at this. Let's see, right here, this is a, I wonder if that is actually, I'm just kind of curious if that is a legitimate cartridge that was reused, or if that was just, that looks like a legitimate, like, you know, cartridge mold itself and everything. But you can see right here that obviously that uh, the label here is nothing official on this. So it looks like they just carved out another cartridge and have, you know, a custom PCB in there, a reflashed one turning on the Game Boy Advance. That has to be a modified screen as well too because that is lovely and backlit and everything and it's it's right there. This is, I love this just because this is one of those situations where just looking at this video here, it looks like this is a fake video. This looks completely fake. This looks like something that it, someone is just making up like they're just playing a video here and they're, you know, 
being really elaborate with it. But this is the game running. Like, this is Tomb Raider running. This is the, like, Lara's house right here at the beginning. And that is... Honestly, I'm looking at this, like... 16 frames per second really doesn't look too bad here. I'm sure it was running at something close to that even back in the day as well, too. But, like, this is actually playable on here. This is really cool to see. Just, I'm... I'm dumbfounded seeing this. It's cool because even recently, like right around the time this was shown, I'd actually kind of gotten a bug to play some Game Boy Advance games. So I was playing a few Game Boy Advance games, like one of the Pokemon games and also uh, Max Payne. I had purchased Max Payne a few years ago for the Game Boy Advance. And I tried it once, like way back in the day and me being an ignorant kid, I was like, oh, this is, this is nothing like the Xbox version. This is awful. But then I played it on Game Boy Advance and I'm like, this is pretty much just like an official demake of Max Payne, and it's really good. It's just, if you downgrade Max Payne and make it an isometric game, it's pretty accurate to what it is. So I would even expect like, you know, an isometric version of Tomb Raider on here, but no, this is, this is straight up the full 3D release of Tomb Raider running on a Game Boy Advance. Proving the impossible right here is possible. Now for the final topic here on Mod Chat, I normally like to pick something which is funny or interesting or kind of just random off the walls, just something that kind of piques my interest in that regard in regards to the modding scene. And this is, I guess, enough time has passed now that it was really daunting, kind of questioning, kind of spooky to see. And now it's kind of just a funny mishap here. And let's just let's just get into this. What did Microsoft do? Aside from buying Activision for like $69 billion cash, mind you, cash. That's a lot. Okay. Let's just let's just get to this here. The 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 uh, the thing that they messed up earlier today. Or this this month. Now, for anybody who does not follow the Xbox One or Xbox series at all. It has both those systems or families of systems have the ability to run dev mode where you can essentially for $20 get a developer environment on your system and you can completely legally create and push homebrew to it. So, of course, you know, a lot of people in the modding scene were working on porting emulators such as RetroArch over to this, but even a lot of people just use dev mode on their retail systems to run their games. Like, they weren't even developers, they were just using the developer environment to push over that homebrew, whether it was homebrew games or even emulators such as, again, the RetroArch suite. So, on here, it looked like earlier this year there was suddenly a ban wave going on because what happened was a lot of developer accounts were being disabled, like people who were using dev mode. And even states here for the past 10 days or so, and this is written on January 6th, it appeared as if Microsoft might be deactivating inactive accounts for its popular developer mode for Xbox consoles and Windows. Today, Director of Project Management at Xbox, Jason Ronald, tweeted that the deactivations were accidental and they are looking into restoring them. Quote, we have no plans to remove or disable developer mode on Xbox consoles, stated Ronald unequivocally. We continue to believe in and support a healthy independent app and game development community on Xbox. 
He goes on to say if your account was affected, you can email them at reportapp at microsoft.com to have it restored faster. Now, it looks like here that most people were saying that they were being suspended due to quote-unquote inactivity. And it's also saying here the email allegedly redirects users to the code of contact, conduct for developer mode, which is, you know, for anybody who was deactivated there, which does stipulate that developer accounts need to stay in good standing, including quote-unquote staying active in the store. Though exactly what defines active or inactive is not specified. So this is why here a lot of people thought there was a ban wave because it also seemed to be seemingly random where there were people who just maybe within the past month made a developer account and were using RetroArch or even doing, you know, legitimate development like developing their own homebrew titles on the Xbox One and they got their accounts deactivated. While as people who made an account five years ago had their accounts deactivated. Uh, then plenty of people were fine as well too, but this was just kind of overall an oopsie, I guess, a pretty big one that Microsoft, maybe they just had like their judgment clouded and all that because they were stressed out from trying to scramble up money to purchase Activision. I don't know. That's just me theorizing right there. But either way, that is to say that this was thankfully more sort of a blip here. End up coming out, a lot of the community and thankfully a lot of the community was really against this here and they were pushing back and then thankfully microsoft was pretty pretty in line with their communication and within the same day they were saying like hey this is a mistake now kind of conspiracy time do i feel like this was something that they were doing on purpose to weed out you know i guess bad actors or prevent people from playing you know nintendo or super nintendo games or playstation 2 games on the xbox one or xbox series do i think it was something like that no personally i don't i i legitimately think that all these accounts are being deactivated for whatever reason the this automated system or the people in charge of this were deactivating for they were just going willy-nilly with it. It almost seems like it was more of a automated type thing, but I think this was legitimate here where they were just saying, hey, you do have to stay active and have a active presence on the store, but even though that's in there, most of the time companies aren't going to act on that, even though they could, but I legitimately think this was an accident here. A big accident, a big oopsie, but an accident nonetheless. Either way, I guess it's just something funny to look at and also it does show microsoft hey this is pretty bad press coverage and the community does not like it if you ever choose to enact that clause in the future to get rid of all of these inactive developer accounts either way that is about it for this episode of matcha i do want to thank you all for listening and watching and hanging out and this is probably going to be a little bit longer of an outro because you know if you made it to the end thank you so much but i do want to talk a little bit personally as well too so for anybody who did notice or was thinking thinking, hey, Mario hasn't uploaded in a hot minute. Uh, yeah, you were not imagining that. I actually recently ended up taking a break here on the channel for the first time on purpose ever. Uh, there's been many times in the past on this channel here that I have not uploaded for days, weeks, months, uh, because this channel is quite old and I was never, uh, I, I wasn't consistent on this for a while. But I had never built in a break on purpose. Maybe the closest, maybe the closest I can think of is like my first semester, freshman year in college. 
I was just like, okay, I'm not going to upload anything until I'm done with the semester. So for a few weeks, I didn't upload anything, but I didn't like have it planned out like, hey, I'm taking a break from this date to this date. So what ended up happening was just I had a lot on my plate, a lot going on all around me. This was happening in December, and I was just kind of like, you know, I've been thinking for, for several months, I've been thinking of taking a bit of an upload break in January, but I think I really need to make that a reality. So I decided to do that. I didn't decide to take a break in December because I do have some traditional videos that I like to upload, mainly my last few videos, which are, you know, of course, I still want to do Mario's Minute. I already had ModChat out and I did my last two videos, which were all the games that I beat for that year, as well as my game of the year. So I had those in the bag already. I wanted to get them out there. And I said, you know what? After that, I'm going to take a break for about three weeks or so in January. Because this here is going to be the first comeback of this. And this should be going out January 20th. I did originally have this plan to go out on Wednesday, but, you know things happen so I just I just didn't feel like recording the night before I'm going to be honest with you so it's okay I'm here now it's all good so yeah aside from that really it's nice to be back and I could even tell that I was looking forward to I was looking forward to the break honestly but I was also looking forward to making content again because even when I had everything kind of wrapped up for the end of 2021 in terms of channel uploads and even the first few 2022 videos I had wrapped up, before I even started my break, I was thinking and I was excited thinking about the content that I'd be making. But I was like, no, 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 I got to force myself to stop. All right, I, I have to force myself to take a break. So kind of try to catch up on sleep. Got to do some things in the real world as well, too. Uh, yeah, just... <laughs> Play games as well. Play Actually play some games as opposed to playing with the mods themselves. <laughs> the other thing as well too is that, you know what? A slight rant on here. So this setup here, it's a bit clunky to get out. I don't have this permanently on my desk, but I'm using a DSLR to record everything. It looks nice, at least in my opinion. And I ended up getting one of these Razer webcams, a Razer Keo Pro, like probably six months ago or so didn't even try it until about a month ago was not working properly and found out that it wouldn't take firmware updates which meant that you had to return it so i was able to return it because it was defective and i got a new one and i spent no joke like an hour prepping for this comeback here just fighting with the razor webcam and like you know it was just it was stuttery it was having all these issues it's just not working for this specific use case and then when i hooked this up i just said you know what i'm tired of fighting with this i'm gonna hook up the dslr again i'm just like you know what even though this is a bit of a clunky setup even though using the webcam would have been more not reliable but more uh convenient and cleaner i guess just because it kind of just sits there in the corner as opposed to this takes up my desk and all that I get I, this solution works and it produces better quality while as the convenient solution it's I, I want it to work it should work but it would also produce a less nice image so you know we'll, we'll just we'll just roll with this DSLR it's fine it's all good I don't mind <laughs>
But either way, either way, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. Now, if you've made it to the very, very end, I thank you very much. And in case you do not know, I like to pick a keyword or a key phrase for anybody who's made it to the end here. And if you use that keyword or key phrase in a comment on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. So let's say, you know, since we're talking about breaks and all that, since I talked about that, how about hiatus? If you use the word hiatus, in the comments here on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. Do you like hiatuses? Do you hate hiatuses? Do you do you need a hiatus? Do you miss certain content creators or musicians when they're on hiatus? I'm sure you do. But yeah, let me know. Use keyword hiatus on the comment of the YouTube upload and I'll know that you made it to the end. And if you're listening to this, you're not excluded either. Just come over to the YouTube upload comment using that keyword and you should be all good. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. This is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening, watching everyone. Until next time.